Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. scriptures that the spirit would move and then the word would come forth all throughout from Genesis to Revelation and so I want to just share just a little bit of something here with you tonight before we go home just a few uh, might have been even last Sunday morning can't remember just minister from the book of Job book of Job's been with me here lately I've been reading in the book of Job and so I want to just share something if we can begin reading with verse number 13 of Job chapter number 1. The Bible says, And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven, hath burned up the sheep, the servants, and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, and carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men that are dead. And they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. So these few verses record seemingly in one day everything that Job had stripped away from his life. Seems to be the target of the adversary even in his conversation with God, everything that Job had, he took it all away in one day. With the help of the Holy Ghost, just for a little space of time, I want to share tonight that it's about more than, than you got. It's about more than what you got. It's about more than you got. Amen. Let's pray right now. Father, I love you tonight. I am your humble servant today, and I'm asking God for your strength and for your power and your anointing. God, that you could, Lord, touch these lips and play the words, Lord, that I'll share here tonight. God, it could reach a heart or reach a soul. God, I lean upon you, O Lord. I pray, God, tonight, let your way be done. God, let your word be spoken, Lord, in, Lord, the way that you would have it spoken. Help us to hear. 
Help us to take your word to heart and ponder, Lord Jesus, what you'll say here tonight. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen, amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about more than you got. Although on the surface in the story here of Job, particularly in chapter number one, that seems to be exactly about what this whole scenario was about, about what Job had. As a matter of fact, as chapter number one starts out and speaks to us, it doesn't waste any words in telling us the things that Job had. It draws our attention even to what he possessed and what he had. It tells us about those 7,000 sheep and those 3,000 camels and those 500 yoke. Notice 500 yoke of oxen. That indicates a pair. So he had 1,000 ox. Amen. It tells us about the 500 she-asses or the 500 she-donkeys that he had. It seems as though the writer of the story and through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost wanted to draw our attention to what Job had. The possessions of what he had. It even speaks to us a little further that there was this great increase even in Job's life. There was increase of his substance. Amen. Not just of his livestock, but of everything it would seem that he owned and he touched. What Job had seemed to increase. And even whenever Satan came to have his grand conversation with the Lord in the heavenlies of verses 6 through 12, Satan has a conversation with God about what Job had. Again, targeting what he had. Uh, he began to speak with the Lord. And there's some things you just need to pick up on in Scripture that whenever the Lord asked Satan where he had been, and he said, I've been to and fro all in all the earth. I've been going up and down. And uh, the Lord presents unto Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? You can tell by what Job says that he has. Because he begins to speak back to the Lord and says, Lord, have you not made a hedge about it? Now, you, you're not going to know that unless you've considered somebody. Have you not made a hedge around about him and around about everything? Here he is that he has. He's again driving home our, our, our idea, our attention to what this man Job, this perfect, upright, blameless man Job has. He says you, you've put a hedge around about everything that this man has, even in so much that you have increased his substance on every side. His livestock continued to grow in numbers. And so you, you've protected what he has. And that seems to be the very, the very focal point of the adversary on what Job has. So much so that the Lord tells Satan. He says, I tell you what, you are right. I, I have been protecting what is his and what he's got. He says, but I'll, I'll let down that hedge for a period of time. And I'll, I'll let that go by the wayside. And I'll allow you to be able to come forth and put forth your hand and touch. Amen. And, and mingle with and mess with everything that Job has. I'll, I'll set that in your power. You can't touch his life at this moment in time. But I'll let you put a finger on everything that Job has. 
And so the gates just swung open wide and the fences just fell down around Job and everything that our mind and our attention has been drawn to to this point in time that Job has, it seems to be the very target of the adversary. It seems to be the very target of the enemy. Amen. And so we understand in Scripture that Satan shows up and in one day those 7,000 sheep are gone. In one day those 3,000 camels are gone. In one day, those 500 yoke of oxen, those 500 she asses, all of them are taken away from Job. Even so much that his 10 children, his, his seven sons and his three daughters are taking, taken away as well. Everything that Job has, all of his increase, every possession that he has to his name is taken away just in one day. And I spoke last Sunday, I believe it was, that we need to draw our attention to the fact that Job doesn't have any idea about what went on between verses 6 and verse number 12. Job is not, not, not uh, privy to the conversation that took place in the heavens. Only thing Job knows is one morning he got up and it was festival time and that his sons and daughters were celebrating in the house of the eldest brother and as Job's custom was when that took place he's going to petition God he's going to talk to God he's going to pray to God and he's going to offer sacrifices to God in hopes that his sons and daughters have not cursed God in their heart and as I said just a couple of weeks ago Job is doing all of this and as he's praying and as he's talking to God and as he's making sure that his children are covered servant after servant come with the bad news that Job this these sheep that you had have been taken these camels that you had have been taken your sons and daughters that you had have been taken and we're just waiting there with bated breath of readers of the story because we've read too many stories right in scripture we love the stories that are told when things are taken and when things are stolen and the end result is that they're numbered back to the person that they were stolen away from we all rally around the stories amen about people who have received restoration in their life and return has come back to their life I mean who doesn't like the Old Testament story of David David, whenever he went to fight a man alongside the Philistines and the Bible says they were dwelling at that time in Ziklag that as he was away and they were returning to the city the Bible says it's been burned with fire by the Amalekites and that David and his, his wives rather have been taken away what David had and that the children of his soldiers, their wives and their children have been taken away and they spoiled the city. We love to read that story because we're just sitting there waiting. Man, it's about ready to get good. And as we're waiting there, we understand that David spoke to the priest and he says, I want you to pray to God for me and I want you to see whether I should pursue the adversary. And the Lord says, pursue because when you do, you shall recover all. We love those type of stories. It's the stories we like to pick up on the shelf that have books like that. The tension comes. Everything is wrong. The problem is massive. And before the last, the last page of the last chapter comes, everything is resolved. It is all pink elephants and jelly beans all over again. We love. The types of stories where things are restored and things are returned. When things that you have come back to you. Someone say amen. But I want to present to you tonight that there's something else going on in the story. 
that Satan targeting Job was more than just about what Job had. It was more than about camels and, 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 and oxen and sheep. It was more than that. I want to point to your attention here this evening, verse number, if you will, 14. The Bible says that whenever one of the messengers came unto Job, his report was this, is that the oxen were plowing and the asses were feeding beside them. What I want you to notice in these few verses I read to you tonight, that whenever the messengers come bearing the news, they don't bear any any of the actions that the camels were doing. It doesn't say what the camels were doing when they were taken, just simply that they were taken. Whenever you read about the sheep, there is nothing spoken in Scripture what the sheep's activity was whenever they were taken. It's just simply reported that they were taken. For that matter, the donkeys that are spoken of here in verse number 14, it basically tells us that the donkeys were feeding whenever the adversary came and stole them away, stole away what Job had. But whenever it comes to the oxen in particular, it states, and I don't believe there's anything in Scripture that's there that shouldn't be there it states very plainly that the oxen were plowing someone say plowing the oxen were plowing. That was the job. That was the responsibility of the oxen. And imagine with me for a moment, we're talking about 500 yoke of oxen. Oxen plowed in pairs. We're talking the possibility because the scripture says, the messenger even says that all the servants from this time of the, the oxen plowing, that all the servants are even taken and they are dead. I'm just telling you tonight, it's quite a possibility that all of these oxen who the Bible says were plowing, all 500 could have been plowing the land of Job at the same time. Someone just bear with me for a moment. And so we're grateful for the oxen because they're plowing the field of Job. And the purpose of plowing is this. The purpose of the plow was that it would turn over the dirt in such a way. It was a means of preparation for the ground so that someone could come out there and begin to cast seed up on the ground and go into the soil. And so you have 500 yoke of oxen. Perhaps at the same time they are sowing seed. Amen. Or rather they are plowing. And the the Bible says the enemy comes down and takes away the ox. You needed a pair of oxen in order to break the ground in that day. It's even from my understanding that whenever a man and a farmer took an ox and he yoked it with another ox, there's a relationship and a bond that is formed between them that they will be companions and friends for some degree for the rest of their lives. As a matter of fact, from my understanding, even when they were not under the yoke, if they were feeding, they were still close proximity because they have brought plowing the ground together so many times together that even when they could be apart they're going to be together whether they were in the barn sleeping they're going to be together and there was so much benefit by the ox an ox is so much better than a horse when it came to plowing and I'm not here to get into a fight with anybody but they say and I know this may be a little crude but whenever an ox defecates when its dung exits its body as it's plowing it nourishes the ground it helps the ground but a horse when it does the same in the field it burns the spot that it draws 
And so it's just beneficial to have an ox. Amen. It, they tell me that an ox, as it is plowing, if it comes, a pair of yoke of oxen, if it's plowing, if it comes up on a place in the ground that there is a halt or a hesitancy of the plow on the ground, the ox doesn't think anything about it. He just puts his shoulder to the yoke and he pushes a little further because he has a job to do. He's to plow the field. They say if horses, amen, are out there plowing and they hit a hesitation in the ground, you know what? they usually do they stop but not the ox the ox is important amen important for plowing the ground but if I can just segue here for a moment the reason why the, the adversary could have came at any moment in time and took what Job had at any day of the week, he could have come and taken sheep. At any day, he could have come and taken camels and the asses and the oxen any day. But it is in my spirit tonight that I believe he waited for this exact moment when the oxen would be doing what the oxen were doing, a plowing the field. Because the enemy is interested in more than just what you have right now in this moment. He's interested more than the 7,000, the 3,000. He's interested more than what you have right now in this moment. If he can steal the oxen as they are plowing, there is no ground prepared for the sowing. Somebody's got to hear me tonight. It is my belief the adversary shows up in our lives, not just for what you have, but he wants to frustrate what you will have tomorrow. He's just not here to try to tamper with what you presently have in your possession at this date and at this time. He doesn't want anything to increase in your life for. It is, listen, it's about more than what you have. It's about more than what you have. It's about what you have the potential to have. Somebody hear me right now. It's about what you have the potential to have. He's not just worried about what you have right now. Amen, Sister Adams. But he don't want you to have anything more. Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. You say, no, no, you're wrong, Pastor. Listen to me. He has seen enough things play out, amen, in the eternity of time of what happens whenever people are left alone and allowed to reach their potential. Oh, yeah, he can look at enough Jacobs that were supplanters and liars and connivers. And if you wait and don't bother them, they're going to turn into Israels that give birth to 12 nations that's going to be reckoned with. He knows that if I don't tamper with the souls of the New Testament Scripture and I don't touch them and I don't frustrate their potential, they're going to turn into Apostle Paul's that write two-thirds of the New Testament Scripture. He's not just after what you got. He's after what you could have. Someone say amen. I'm convinced tonight in the Holy Ghost that some of the battles that we face as Christians, I'll speak for myself, amen, is not about what I have. I don't think sometimes he's so much worried about what Paul McGee maybe has accomplished in his life to this moment. What's got him worried is about what I might accomplish tomorrow, what I might accomplish five years from now. He's not worried about what I have. He's worried about what else I might obtain. I'm here to tell you in the Holy Ghost tonight that you got the devil nervous this evening, not because of what you got right now, but what tomorrow holds for you, what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what you're going to overcome. 
He wants to frustrate the plowing because he don't want no seed to take root. Someone say amen. It has been the story. It has been the story of Scripture. Someone say amen. It's the story of Scripture. You can read over in the book of Judges, chapter number 6. Whenever you say the debut of Gideon in Scripture, and the Bible says that the children of Israel had been under Midianite oppression for seven years. For seven years under the thumb of Midian. The Bible says in so much that the children of Israel were going into dens and caves and strongholds because the oppression was insurmountable. They could not live their normal lives as they would out in the open. They were going to dens and strongholds and caves because of the Midianites. And here was the actions of the Midianites. The Bible says, you can read it in the scripture, but the Bible says whenever it was coming close to harvest time. The Bible says in verse 4, Judges 6 and 4, and they encamped, this is the Midianites, against Israel and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till they came to Gaza. In other words, it would seem like that they would come right when harvest was coming. They would come when every, all the sweat, toil, blood, and tears they had placed in the ground of seed and worked the field right when it harvest to be picked Aiden they would go out there and destroy all the harvest why they didn't want them to have tomorrow anything more than what they had today and that and over again we read in the book of Joel chapter 1 chapter 2 chapter 3 through the book of Joel what do we read of that adversaries come you remember the story the Bible says that the palmer worm came and what it left the locust ate and what it left the canker worm ate and what it left the caterpillar ate let me tell you as that's going through that series of four what is left is small and less Right, but the caterpillar would eat, and he starts telling the story in Joel chapter number one. He starts telling the dilemma of their time. Listen to me, I'm preaching to tonight that it's not just about what you got. Hear me. Because the Bible says they start looking around and they said, oh, the old vine over there, the old grapevine, it's wasted now too. The bark that is on the fig tree, it's almost as it's been debarked. Its defenses are down. They said our fields are wasted. Our corns are wasted. Our wine is draw, dried up in the vats. Said our oil is suffering. All the trees around us that we can see in eyesight, they are withering. The seed is rotten. The barns are broken. The rivers are dried up. My God, what is going on? Yes, he's touching what they have, but he's also touching what they could have by doing all of those things. Tampering with the vine. Tampering with the fruit trees. Tampering with the oil. Tampering, oh, someone hear me. He's tampering with everything that they could have. That's the reason why we rejoice in Joel 2 when the Spirit of the Lord begins to speak to them and says, I'll restore unto you what the palmer worm, what the cat 
caterpillar what the locusts have ate. What are you saying? He says, I'm going to give back to you what you lost in those years. I'm going to restore to you, if I may, I'm going to restore to you your future. Someone say amen. It's not just about what you have. It's about the potential in your tomorrow. Because listen, our adversary's not ignorant. There's a law that we talk about all times. It's called the law of the harvest. Galatians, we read of in Galatians 6. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man, that shall he also. It's the law of the harvest. You will reap what you sow. There are sub-principles to that law of the harvest as well. Not only will you reap what you sow, but it also speaks in the scripture. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. Not only that, there in Galatians, there's another sub-principle of that. Whatsoever you sow, that will you reap. You reap in kind. If you sow corn, you reap corn. If you sow beans, you reap beans. It'd be a confusing world if we sowed watermelons and we got cantaloupes. You reap in kind. Someone say amen. Let me tell you something. We're not the only ones that's aware of these principles. Amen. Here's another principle, sub-principle, if you reap what you sow. If you sow in one season... You will reap in another season. In other words, you, you don't sow and reap in the same season. Our adversary is just as well aware of these principles as everyone setting us here tonight. And so it's not about just what you got. Because has he seen those oxen out there plowing? You know what he knows? Seed time is coming. And if they sow today in some other season, in some other season, he's going to reap. If he sows today, what he puts down today, he's going to get back in four, 20, 60, maybe. Oh, someone hear me right now. He's not so much worried about what you got, but what you could have tomorrow because of your sowing. Amen. Because of your investment in the ground. And he says, if I can frustrate that, if I can stop that, there will be no increase for tomorrow. If I can stop that in this season, there won't be another season for a harvest. And I can stop that right now from their plentiful sowing. They won't have anything coming through the ground tomorrow. Amen. Someone say glory. There's a hanky in this jacket somewhere. In the name of Jesus, there's got to be one. So this is the law. The harvest is limited to the planting. And the planting is limited to the plowing. And the plowing is limited by whether or not you got oxen to plow. So I'm going to take the 500 yokes so we can stop this plowing business right now so we can stop the planting business later so we can keep a harvest from Job's tomorrow. Someone say amen. 
I read an article just today, and I'd read an article similar to this before. But I just read an article today, and it was published back in 2005, and the whole happening of it actually took place before the year 2005. But back around that time frame, there was a seed that was found in King Herod's palace at Masada that they had found that had laid there in dormancy for 2,000 years. A seed. A seed. You get seeds today, a lot of times they have expiration dates. You need to have them in the ground by such and such. It's, it's best by this time that you plant it and hold it. This seed had not been in the ground. The seed had been in some place in Herod's palace. It's quite capable. I don't know the story behind the seed. I don't know if anybody knows for sure. It was a seed of a date palm. Can you imagine them having some type of celebration at the palace of Herod? Everybody's eating date palms. You know, you ever eat a peach? Have you ever ate the seed in the middle of the peach? For one, it is hard as a rock. When you're crunching down and you hit it, and your whole body is jarred by it, we usually discard it, right? Could you imagine being in the palace of Herod and there's great celebrations and they're eating their date palms? <laughs> and they hit that seed and they just kind of cast it over on the marble or concrete floor of the palace only for 2,000 years later. For someone to pick it up and it has been there dormant all that time. They took that seed that never got planted and they gave it to a botanist. Because the botanists know that even old seeds can germinate if they're given the right environment. And this botanist took this old seed and did a few things, but not really anything much different than just getting it in the ground. And they put that third, that 2,000 year old date palm seed in the ground. And would you know that that thing, 2,000 years old, sprouted after some time and broke through the ground. Now, the botanist said, wasn't really surprised by the seed, amen, sprouting, because that happens. They come across many old seeds and have planted them and they have sprouted. She says, but the test of it will be this. Will it grow and thrive after it's sprouted? She says, because those old seeds, they use a lot of their energy just to sprout, to break forth from the shell, that they have no more vitality to grow after it's come forth from the shell. She says, so that will be the true test. And so since this seed was so old and it, it was planted and it sprouted, they thought, man, you got to do something with this. This is like a new birth. You know, you got to name this thing. So they called the seed Methuselah. <laughs> Methuselah's oldest man, the Bible, 969 years old, said they called it Methuselah. Now here's the consideration. Methuselah was that. Methuselah was a male date palm. And male date palms can only pollinate other date palms. During this time in which all this was happening, date palms were basically extinct. These kind were basically extinct upon the earth. They did not exist. And they needed a female date palm and they found some old other date palms, maybe not as old as this one, and they planted them as well. And wouldn't you know, they germinated, they sprouted, and they began to live and they began to thrive. And then though to add 
insult to injury? Date palms don't have fruit. They don't bear fruit until 30 years of living. they got to be living germinated and started and going before they'll ever bear fruit that pollination has to happen from the male plant and 30 years later it will bear fruit I read then I found another article around 2021 and they are stating that that old Methuselah and I, I can't remember the name of his counterpart right offhand they called them all Bible names off the counterpart about 30 years later guess what was happening fruit upon the tree one of them that dates back to 2,000 years ago I'm telling someone he's not so much about what you've got but what you may have in the future if he ain't keep the oxen from plowing he'll keep the seed from germinating and keep the fruit from It went extinct upon the earth because it never got in the earth. I'm telling somebody tonight, it would do Satan no better pleasure than just end everything that's going on in your life right now so that you don't have any seed that falls in the soil and there's no fruition in your life 30 years from now, 10 years from now, or five years from now. He's wanting to stop your future. He's wanting to stop your advancement in the kingdom. He doesn't want you to grow up in God. He doesn't want you to be an overcomer. He doesn't want you to have more power and more. No, no. He wants you to grow extinct. He wants who you are never to come to fruition. But I've come on this Sunday night and say we are more wise than he realizes. I know it's more than just about what I have right now, but I'm going to hold to it. We're going to break the soil. We're going to sow the seed because there's a future. Tell me the truth. I know in my own life, I'll talk about me and not about you. I know for surety. And I have conversations with God. And there's times when I talk to God that I feel God poking me in my spirit. That McGee, if you ever think Satan's trying to put his crosshairs on you or trying to get you to fall or failure, it's because he sees where your tomorrow might be based upon your trajectory. He's not worried about me being pastor of a church. He's not worried about me going to prison and preaching. He's not worried about going here and preaching. No, no. He's worried about what might he do tomorrow. Let me tell you, if we could go into the future by time and look back on your life, from the future when you didn't give up didn't give in and the seed got planted some of you would marvel at where you would be 20 years from now if you got the seed in the soil 
Some of you would mar oh yes. Some of you would be modern day Apostle Pauls. Some of you would be modern day Naomi and Ruth. Some of you would be modern day people in scripture. Why? Because they, you didn't allow your future to be frustrated in the here and the now. You go Listen, I, I don't know if I'm getting through to anybody right now, but you gotta understand he is trying to rape you of your future. Oxen, yeah, sheep, yeah, asses, yeah, but the fact is, they were plowing oxen. Someone say amen. Someone say glory. I got stuff all over the If you think about it, that's really the gist of it all. Because I'm taking all the oxen. So if I take all the oxen, there will be no reproduction for oxen for tomorrow. If I take all the sheep, there won't be no sheep for tomorrow. If I take all the ass, if I, if I take all the sons and daughters, Job, I'll even take away your ability of grandchildren. It was the ploy of Satan. Lord, Job has this. Job has this. When what he was really looking at is what Job could have. You do yourself a favor tonight and go home and ask yourself, where might I be in what I could have if I plant in the ground today? What could happen in my family? If I drove some roots deep, what could happen? It can happen, Sister Margaret. It's the O.M. and McGee's that say, God, I'm going to live for you for the rest of my days whenever her son's just three years old. That then in 1996, there's a breakout of revival at the Kingsbury Pentecostal Church. And there's cousins that are getting saved on the left hand and on the right hand. And their children then become second generationers in the church. No, 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 somebody not hear me quite yet. How does that happen? Because somebody stays the hand from the one that's wanting to take the ox that's plowing the field because seeds go in there and it may seem like it don't matter today, but it does matter for tomorrow. It's about more than what you've got. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Solomon, one of the smartest men, told us in Proverbs, he said, he that does not plow, this is what he basically says, he said, he that does not plow will not harvest. Satan knows that. The scripture tells us in Isaiah that whosoever killeth of ox, it's as though he had slain a man because of the value and the importance of the plowing that's associated with it. Satan knows that. Scripture tells the New Testament scripture that when one plows, they should plow in hope. Why? Because this is more than just about what we're doing today. I know I'm in the same now over and over. But it's about what can come about tomorrow. So yes, 
Satan says to himself, no doubt, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to tamper with the oxen. None of the other, nothing spoken of the other animals, what they were doing. The donkeys, yeah, they were feeding. But nothing else was spoken about. But particularly, God states for us, the oxen were plowing. If we bow our heads in this place tonight. They were plowing. And again, listen to me. Now I'm coming to a close. They were plowing that the Bible says that the one servant that did come tell Job about all this. And he said, and all your servants are dead. If each yoke of oxen had a plowman with them, he's saying all of them are dead too. What's all of the significance here? Well, if you read a New Testament scripture, the Bible says, any man that putteth his hand to the and looketh back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now listen to me. This is the way I preached it for years. But light bulb moment hit me as I looked into the oxen and the plow a little bit. We preached for years that if you ain't looking, if you're not giving attention to plowing, then your furrows in the ground are going to be all crooked and you're going to go this way just like when you drive a car and look one way. But from my understanding, the plows in that day made from usually a little trunk of a tree with two branches going opposite directions, they were very light. And history says... It required the plowman to lean on the plow in a for, for it to actually break the ground. His weight had to go on the plow for it to break the ground. So if you don't put your hand and your weight to the plow and you're easing up and looking back, you'll be going with oxen down the lane, but you won't be breaking any ground that seed can fall in. Satan says, I'll get the plowing oxen and I'll get the plowman because it takes them both for ground to be broken for tomorrow's harvest to take root. If we can close our eyes tonight, somebody tonight needs to understand it's not just about what you have today. He's trying to keep you from the potential James Malone. He's trying to keep you from the potential Jennifer Cruz. Oh, she's great just as she is right now. Yeah. But what would happen if she had some seed sown and there was some fruitfulness five and ten years from now? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Brenda Wendell that's been in church all those years. Yeah, she's great. But what if, what if God's going to give her five or ten more years in her life on this earth? What could Brenda Wendell do? just worried about what you got he's worried about the potential of who you would become and what you could have one writer said it like this he said whenever we stand before the Lord someday and this was totally just total conjecture I mean he's just totally just saying this he says what if the Lord brings up to us who we are and then next to us he brings us up the person we could have been what a judgment someday. Here we are standing before the Lord, and he brings us the person that we could have been. And the judgment will be based upon perhaps what they could have become compared to what they are when they stand before the Lord. What are you saying? He is afraid. He's afraid of me. Yeah. He's afraid of the potential that lies inside of you when the finger of God touches you. When the finger of God gets on your life, when seed is on you, he's afraid of your future. 
I wish someone would just amplify, just amplify that fear for the enemy tonight and say, God, I'm an open field, plow and plant. And what is sown, I will reap. And if I don't in this season, there's a season coming. Someone just needs to tell the devil today that my season's coming. You hear me? My season's coming. Because there's some things even I planted 10 years ago. Hey, There's some things that I even planted 10 years ago. And listen, I mean, a date palm doesn't bear any fruit for 30 years. That'd be a little discouraging. But if you wait it out long enough... I think I got, sometimes as a pastor, I got various people. I got people that bloom like, you know, within, you know, it seems like within a year they're producing fruit. Got others within three years. I feel like sometimes I got some date palms. I got some 30 years. But if we just keep the soil good, keep the watering good, the law of the harvest is going to take effect. Woe is the person that cuts down the date palm before year 30. They'll never see its fruit. But in that 2,000-year-old seed was fruit that just needed cared for and the adversary stayed at bay for. And it produced. These altars are open tonight because it's about more than you got it's about what you could have come on somebody adversary has you in his crosshairs because of what you're going to become the adversary has you in his crosshairs not just because of your increase and everything you have at this moment in time he's worried about increase he's worried about growth he's worried about maturity He's worried about fruitfulness in your life in days and years to come. Oh, let's talk to the Lord. He's here tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.